about to win so big. Tell my hydraulic money. Yeah. Money coming in. Tell me what's the program? 25 days of cushion. Yeah, get with the program. Show they want their way. Get the program. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Another week, Tales from the Terror Dome. You already know what time it is. Got a special one today. This man should not be forgotten by y'all, so don't be a casual. Do your research. Respect this man. He was a beast. He was a two-time Sun News Toast of the Coast Defensive Player of the Year. This man had 208 tackles his sophomore year, followed by 188 tackles his senior year. This man was described as a man-child coming to Virginia Tech because he was already one hell of an athlete. His name is Bruce Taylor. He's on the pod. How you doing, my man? I'm good, brother. Thanks for the uh, warm intro. Forget about the good old days. <laughs> well, we're here, we here to remember them. Yes, today. sir. Most definitely. Where where did you grow up, man? So I grew up in South Georgia, down near Savannah, a little town called Riceboro, Georgia. It's about 35, 45 minutes south of uh, Savannah area. So getting close to the Florida border. And then after that, I moved to my high school ball. I uh, played high school in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which is about three and a half, four hours from where I grew up. Mama got a new job down in uh, Myrtle Beach. And so we packed the family up and went to Myrtle Beach when I was, I think, 12 years old. And, uh, you know, of course, did my high school and everything there before I uh, eventually landed at Tech. What was it like growing up in Myrtle Beach during your formative years? It was a blast, man. It was, uh, you know, I, I met a lot of people. I met a, a lot of former uh, classmates, alumni from Virginia Tech, because as you know, a lot of Eastern states, your Tennessee's, North Carolina's, Virginia's, uh, New York, even going up upstate, um, they use Myrtle Beach as like their beach week, their family vacations. So having for like a two month span in the summer, you know, when people were doing beach week and everything, you were meeting brand new people each week coming to the beach, you know, just looking to have a good time. So needless to say, I had uh, some really good summers, especially as I got a little older, um, you know, had some great summers down there in Myrtle. Yeah, I, uh, one of my best friends, he owns an outback in Myrtle's Inlet now. So okay. at, at his parents have a condo in Surfside. So we used to, during COVID, they hadn't retired and moved down there yet. So we would go to the condo and just hang out for however long because mm-hmm. there was nothing going on. But uh, right. so I've been to Myrtle a lot. I don't understand how people graduate there because, like, it gets so nice and everybody's at the beach. I don't understand how, like, coastal students decide to go to class when they could just go to the beach. <laughs> but – uh. Yeah, well, man, you had to know how to, um, you had to know how to, you know, get things done, sneak out, you know, or we had one security guard for our entire school. So 
she can't be everywhere at once, you know? So you sneak out for fifth period, you know, your core classes are always those first, you know, four or five classes and then electives at the end of the day for most people. So yeah, you, you find time. That's very true. That's very true. Uh, what part mm -hmm. of Myrtle did you, what part of Myrtle were you in? So I was, if you're familiar with Myrtle at all, there's Broadway at the beach, um, right there off like 21st Avenue. That's where uh, I basically lived my time where I was in Myrtle. So literally, I guess you could say maybe five minutes, five minute drive from the actual beach. So yeah, not even five minutes, like three or four minutes, get to the beach. Oh man, you were living good. <laughs> yeah. Of course, it's not the same so, living there. People, people always said that, you know, like, how do you, you know, you live in Myrtle Beach? It's like, well, I'm not, I'm not here on vacation like you are. So it's a little different, but uh, no, yeah, still a lot to do. I'll tell you what, it was great being in Myrtle. If you were somebody that was looking for a summer jobs, endless summer jobs, man, like so many different places you could go to, you know, make a little extra money on the side during the summers. It was great. Yeah, my my boy, he managed um it was a big ass pirate ship at Broadway at the beach. I can't remember that Pirates West. Boy. I don't know if that was the name of the restaurant, but yeah, he, he managed that jump and he said it was it was insane all the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially with Coastal Carolina being down there and they them becoming like a, a bigger school, uh athletic wise. Um, yeah, always something going on. So who all recruited you out of high school? Like, what schools were, were looking at you? Yeah, I mean, I got mail from everybody, really, you know. Um, but I would say as far as, like, firm offers, it was pretty much everybody in the ACC. Um, in the SEC, there was Mississippi State that were pushing for me and South Carolina that were pushing for me pretty heavily. One outside of, you know, the ACC, SEC was uh, – Pac-10, or I guess they were in the Pac-10, or, or Big 12, whatever, Penn State, whatever region or division they were in back then. Uh, I wasn't really considering going there, but they sent me a lot of mail and, of course, had an offer from there. Now, was Charlie Wiles your recruiter at Tech? Yeah, Coach Wiles recruited me, you know, played a big part in, you know, me coming to Virginia Tech. He's a legend, man. What what did he say yeah. to you that sold you on tech? There wasn't anything specific, I would say. It was just kind of like more so his personality, you know, because I wasn't looking for anybody to say the right thing for me to make my decision. I wanted to just go somewhere where I felt like, uh, you know, the people were genuine and that I could grow there. And that's, you know, and, I, and longevity was important to me, too, so looking at Virginia Tech's roster and how most of those guys have been there for like 20 years was, uh, that was important to me. Yeah, I would, I would imagine so. Uh, Blacksburg's a lot different than Myrtle Beach. So when you stepped on campus, uh, how much culture shock did you experience? Um, I wouldn't say too much culture shock. It was more of a situation of, I was just like excited to be away from home. You know what I mean? Like 
you're living on your parents' roof for so long and got to do things their way. And then you get on college campus and you do things however you want. So that was the, the biggest shock for me of like how to manage being a student, being, you know, responsible, paying bills, doing laundry, all of that stuff, cooking. That was more of the shock for me. Like, shit, I don't have my mom here to, you know, take care of me anymore. I got to do it on my own. Yeah, see, that's what got me in trouble. I had all the freedom oh, yeah. in the world and nobody to tell me no. So it did not work yeah. out well for me at the time. But Yeah, I mean, but it's all a learning experience. You know, you got to kind of go through that stuff and figure it out. And then you learn why you, you unfortunately, you know, some of us got to learn the hard way, but hopefully you learn. <laughs> yeah, I definitely learned um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> hey, uh, that that's probably the biggest lesson I learned my freshman year. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that freshman class y'all had was uh Looking back on like all the names, it's kind of crazy to think that that whole collection, the talent was there at the same time. Y'all had quite the squad. Yeah, what yeah, was the, the 08 class? Was nice. What was the the locker room culture like? Was it more like doggy dog, or how how did that? How was that dynamic? Man, it was it was it was all love. Like we understood that we were all there to compete we were all there to be that first name on the depth chart. And so it was never a situation where, you know, of course that competition is there because we're all very competitive people, but it, I wouldn't say it was a situation where people were like trying to stab each other in the back, sabotage each other. It wasn't anything like that. It was like, I see you doing your thing, like good shit, keep it up. But at the same time, you mess up. Just know I'm right here on your ass, ready to take that spot in case, you know, <laughs> you you do the wrong thing or something like that. So that's what it was. And everybody understood that. And everybody, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't speak for everybody, but I felt good about that situation where I felt like it wasn't a, a ton of politics involved with our coaching staff. It was who's the best man, who, who's going to play this week. And so that was one thing that, again, in my recruiting process, you just kind of get a feel for uh somebody and what they're saying and then what they've done and what they're going to do. So it was, it was great. I didn't feel any kind of doggy dog toxicity or anything like that. Oh, that's facts. Um, yeah. It's always seemed to be like everybody I've ever talked to from like, especially like your specific class range, all kind of say the same thing. I talked to rock all the time and he was like man everybody could have started he was like but that's what made it mm -hmm. great because you know it, you really had to earn it every week it was a uh, rising tides raise all boats that's what they say but mm, that's a good one i haven't heard that one that's a good one never mm -mm. isn't that crazy <laughs> you, yeah, you we always went with the the classic however you say it iron sharpens iron <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, uh, that's a fact. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, don't credit for me for that quote because I obviously didn't come up with it, but it's always you been a good one. Could have credit for that, man. That was a good one. Man, the people would have known I was fraudulent. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when you got to Tech, though, 
Was it how did it go? You started as a linebacker, moved to DN, and then moved back to linebacker. Is that how that went? Yeah, I started at linebacker, but I came in. I was already like 6'2", 240. So they were thinking like, hmm, we might be able to put a little size on this kid and, and you know, and move him inside. But uh, fortunately, I didn't, you know, put the weight on. I, I slimmed back down and, you know, got back down to my playing weight. I played at around 240, 245. But, um, yeah, man, it, it was close. It was close. It was a close call. Um, my redshirt freshman year or my true freshman year, they were determining, they were like, mm, can we put him there? Cause I was versatile. Cause you know, I came, I had quite a few sacks in high school. And so the, uh, thought of moving me to DM was there, but they gave me the choice. And that was, and that was awesome. Cause I told coach, like, wherever you need me to play, I told coach Foster and coach Wiles, wherever you need me to play, I will play because that was just my mentality coming into it of team first no matter what you know and so they were like look this is what it is you can play here or you can go here and you know my relationship with coach foster was starting to really bud and so i wanted to keep that going so that's why i made the decision to stay at linebacker um but they they blitzed me all the time off the edge anyway so it's like i was a linebacker but you know they had packages for me for me to rush off of the line quite a bit Hey, man, did you say that on purpose? You said uh, my relationship with Coach Foster is really starting to bud. And I was like, proves. <laughs> I swear, man, I no pun intended. I didn't even mean to say that, but that's <laughs> what happened. <laughs> man, the linebacking core was, was loaded at that point, though. It was like you, Jack Tyler, Tweedy. Um, it was, I mean, it was Jack a Johnson. lot of y'all. Jake yeah, Johnson. So yeah. many. Mm-hmm. Tariq Edwards, Lindell Gibson, Barquell Rivers. Barquell was an animal, man. You know, I wasn't even supposed to play. What? Barquell was the starting linebacker the year that we played. Um, I don't know how many people know this story. Some people do, but Barquell was the starter going into that that season, that 2010 season. And he actually got hurt. Two weeks before the the boys, you remember the boys game we played down there in in FedEx Field in Maryland. He got yeah, hurt. Yeah, we had the freshest jerseys. Yeah, those black jerseys. But yeah, he got hurt doing a, I think a power clean or a front squat or something like that in the in the weight room, and he tore his quad doing that workout. So you you know me coming in as a red shirt freshman ready to accept my backup role to Barquell. I mean, because Barquell was, I mean, he's around like a four, six, at like 250, 255, 260, you know, could read the game really well, knew knew where to be at the right time. Like he was having a really, he had a really good year going into the uh, last year um, playing sparingly. But uh, yeah, man, just by the grace of God, you know, and unfortunate for Barquell, my boy Barquell, uh, that's the only reason I got an opportunity to play. If, if he didn't get hurt, you wouldn't have seen me playing to my redshirt freshman year. Yeah, Barquell was nasty. And my mm-hmm. guy, Tariq, Tariq Edwards. Yep. yep. Friend of the show, had him on the pod. Um, yeah, I saw that. They Two, made you. Shot it. Yeah, that guy. That's my guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. Those Boise jerseys, y'all had to – y'all auctioned all those off, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you get your one? 
Nah, I was way too young and too broke to buy one. Yeah, yeah, they were they were expensive. Yeah, I do remember that. But uh, yeah, I was. Whew, what was that? I remember, man. Years just combined at this point. Right. Was that 2010? 2009? 2010? Yeah, 2009, 2010 time frame. Yeah, I was like, I was like 21. Um, right. What year? That you year though. I didn't graduate from Tech. I went to Marshall University, and I had too much fun. And but I grew up. <laughs> I grew up like two hours up the road in Harrisonburg, and I was. I had so many friends go to Tech. In retrospect, I should have done it, but I was like, man, like I have so many kids from high school went to tech. It's going to be mm-hmm. like high school all over again. Right. You don't realize when you're a senior in high school that college is way bigger than you think it is, and you might never see them on campus. But uh, yeah, right, yeah. But but I, I spent enough time in Blacksburg to get a degree. That's for sure. Um. What? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So. That year, you had the Boise game, which we spotted them like 17 points off the bat and then came back to almost win. Right. And then immediately after that was the JMU shit. Yes. <laughs> I was actually just talking what? about that game oh, uh, God. yesterday. Somebody, they just couldn't understand how we could lose to a team like JMU. And I had to tell people, like, man, JMU was a good team, like, especially playing two games in one week, you know, because we played that Monday night, didn't get back to Blacksburg till Tuesday, Tuesday morning. And then, you know, it was a situation where we just like, it rained, our offense was struggling. Um, Boise came in with a good game plan to run the ball because of the rain. You know, it, it, it was like just literally, no pun intended again, the perfect storm to beat a, you know, top 10 team that we were at the time so i mean hats off to those guys they came out they they got guys my coach used to always say they got guys on scholarship too now it might not be d1 or i don't even know if they were d1 at the time but shit they got guys that are hungry that can play that you know might have been in at virginia tech if it wasn't for you know number of different things so at the time i believe they called them one double a that was when they had that yeah. one double a level that was just mm-hmm. FCS, but uh, right. What was the reaction from the coaches and from y'all after that game? Because we we ended up running until we ran the that. table. Yeah. yeah, until we ran into Andrew Luck. <laughs> oh God! The only yeah. play I loved from that game was the was the tie rod. When Jim Harbaugh was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Like, yeah, like yeah, with a yeah. little spin and throw for the TD. Yeah. Uh-huh. But what? But, what did y'all? What happened after that JMU game where y'all were like, "Enough is enough. This shit's not happening again. We about to we about to wreak havoc." Yeah. So I mean, it's a situation where everybody we were still kind of gelling as a team. We were getting to know each other, you know, first game of the year, we lose to a really good Boise team, you know, Kellen, uh, Kellen Moore, I believe his name was, they they were a good team. And so it was a situation where we learned a lot from it. The Boise state, you know, coaches weren't too, I mean, they were upset, but losing to JMU, you know, of course they had to, and I don't know if this is how they actually felt or what they just had to, you know, portray, but, 
yeah, it was a lot of cussing and yelling and, you know, don't be, you ain't fit to wear, you know, play at here at Virginia Tech. You can't be a team like that. But we knew, and it didn't even really feel genuine when they were like yelling at us about that loss. I mean, it was a tough week because you, when you don't get a full week to prepare for a team and you're still really recovering from a really hard fight, that first game is always the toughest because everybody's not in game shape yet. And so you got to go into a place playing a, a top five team with the offense and the explosiveness of that Boise offense and putting everything that you have into that. And then you lose, right? And that's okay, but it's like we let it linger. And uh, that was that was the, the big problem. But I think that, like I said, we learned a lot. We ran the table after that because it's, it's you know, the, the, the stakes were higher and we had to keep going. So we made it, we made it, we made it work and turned it into a big year. Yeah. East Carolina felt the wrath the next week, 49, 27 dub. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, everybody, everybody felt that wrath, man. Cause we were pissed about losing. We're still pissed. We were still mourning the Boise loss when we played JMU. So you could, you could say that we kind of looked past JMU thinking like, all right, you know, D1AA, and the boys came ready to play, and that, and that's on us. We dropped the ball there. Yeah, there wasn't a close win anywhere on the schedule after that except for Georgia Tech, but they are always kind of weird. Um, other than that, y'all just beat the brakes off everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Kind of crazy. Yes, sir. And then, uh, man – there's one play that always sticks out to me, and I brought it up to you when I, at uh, the Cleans, I think. But uh, mm-hmm. it was against Boston College. I can't remember what year it was, but the ref blew the, the whistle mad late. Like, nobody even heard it. Yeah, and you man. ate that quarterback's lunch. I, <laughs> I, I don't remember. Do you remember the quarterback? Because I can't remember for the life of me. I, who it I was. can't, man. I'm horrible, man, with remembering some of the guys we played against. Um, yeah, but I, I'm, I remember exactly what play it was. And then they when flagged they, your ass. It, Yeah, yeah, they flagged me, man. I, I had a few of those plays where <laughs> they – you got to understand, like, if you blow it and then I slam a guy, that's like – that's so close. You know what I mean? It's like, come on. But you know they got to protect the quarterback, so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he never returned to that game. <laughs> I think Oops. he pulled him out. I was like, I remember being like, bro, Juice just killed a man. Hey, man. When you step between <laughs> the lines, <laughs> you know, people always – I used to have people tell me all the time, like, how do you play football? You seem so nice. And it's like, I am really nice until – I put that helmet on. Then it's just like you turn into a different person. You kind of have to. I mean, some people naturally are violent. <laughs> I'm not naturally a violent person, I would say. Uh, but, of course, you know, the game's changed a lot. But back then, it was still very, very violent. And you had to, like, tap into a violent mindset in order to go out there and and battle. And, you know, that's what I did, like – some little rinky-dink whistle, weak-ass whistle. I, man, I'm locked in. <laughs> you got to blow that thing a little quicker, a little harder than that. 
Yeah, I thought it was wild that they still threw the flag, even though the ref knew he had to blow that whistle mad late. It was like yeah. a false start or something. I can't remember what it was, but you he didn't even see it coming. He just took him out. Yep. Whoever you are, man, if you ever catch wind of this, just know I'm sorry. No, you're not. <laughs> no, like, no I'm need serious, to apologize. I'm not I'm uh -uh. not a, I'm not a violent person, man. I'm I'm you know, I'm a lover, not a fighter, but just when that helmet goes on, yeah, it turn you gotta turn up. Nah, but in the spirit of warfare, he deserved it. Yes, hundred percent he deserved that design. Looking back at it now, ten years later, still deserved it. <laughs> now nah, I love playing against Boston College, man. I had my best game of my career. I, I don't know, man. It's just like they ran an offense that was so. It reminded me of our offense at the time. Just very basic, very easy to read. Not a lot of motions. Not a lot of things to like trick you. Um, and so, yeah, it was an easy. It was just like an easy prep game for me. And one thing about football players is when you when you play in it, like for example, for example, when we played Kellen Moore, when we played Andrew Luck, it's hard to just kind of turn and run because you're playing against such a tough opponent, you're, they, they use the term, your mind tying up your feet. So when you're thinking about something, you don't play, you don't move as fast as you would when you're not thinking about it. When we played Boston College, it was just like pretty straightforward, like a situation where you knew what they were gonna do, you know what plays they were gonna run, so you can, you can move and play that much faster because of that. Now, if Brian Steinspring listens to this, are you going to feel sorry about calling us off? Coach Steiny. Easy to read. <laughs> Coach Steiny, if you're hearing this, I'm sorry, man. But you can ask them. When we practice during the week, you know, we start each week off with ones versus ones, and we whip their ass every week. And you can ask anybody from that team, and they'll tell you the same thing. We had some of the greatest running backs of all time at Virginia Tech. And so it was so easy for us as a school to just rely on that ability that, you know, those guys had. So it was just run the ball, just run it. Like, hey, don't forget about the run. And I, and I get that, but it was like it wasn't until that, that staff left. And not to say that we've had a ton of success since then, but – when you don't have those same caliber of guys, the Ryan Williams, David Wilson's, Darren Evans, you know what I mean? All those type guys, and you, you're still running that same offense. It doesn't have the same effect. So that's, I think that's kind of where uh, our offense kind of struggled a bit, was just like the ability to have those dynamic guys uh, that we used to, but of course still trying to run the same offense uh, that we did at the time. Yeah, Beamer struggled at the end, but it was okay. He did enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, the I could not stand the Brian Steinspring offense. Now oh, yeah. that was, I look back, kind of fun to watch. When I look back on Steiny now, I I I realize how good of like he was at like the recruiting stuff and stuff like that. And everybody yeah, I've talked to that played love him. So. I got respect for Steiny, but I hated that offense. But it got worse with Loeffler. It was even worse when, when they got rid of him. So I'm that was unfortunate. You, yeah. But 
Yeah. I mean, we're, we're going through a trend and I still think we're kind of going through a transitional period. Um, the thing is though, I think we got the the right guys in there. I mean, just from, just from a communication standpoint with Loeffler, with um, Fuente, it was always <clears throat> a situation where you felt like an outsider. You didn't really feel like you were a part of the program. Um, but this, this coaching staff, I mean, I don't remember any coaching staff that hung out in the bars that we hung out with, hung out in, and uh, you know, shared shared drinks with. You know what I mean? Some of these guys, it was it was interesting for sure. It was it was it was good to be able to talk to them too, to hear directly from them, sharing a beer, talking about the program, where we need to go, where we need to be, not blowing smoke, but honestly, just being realistic about what needs to be done with this program for us to return to those former glories. Oh, no, I have the utmost faith in this, this staff. Um, yes, sir. Just like exactly what you just said. It's kind of funny when, you know, you see the people on social media that are like, oh, three and eight. We don't know. They think maybe this is fine. And I'm like, you obviously have never spoken to them because they do not think it's fine. Oh, uh, no. Mm-mm. But but no, yeah, man, and there's some some legends on staff, you know. You got X right. out there, a goat linebacker, mm-hmm. and uh, and and pray and Pearson, he's there. JC Price, all those dudes, Goof, Goof on Goof on the squad, um, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, My boy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's great, but, man. It's they're moving in the right direction for sure, and doing it by mixing in some people that have been there and know know the culture, know what Virginia Tech's program is all about. And then they keep people like Bud around, you know, so they did, that they don't forget. Um, but then bringing in some new ideas as well, which is, I think we got kind of stale, like I said earlier, by just going back to doing the same things that we had done for so many years and had success, you know, but of course things change now. So yeah, we got that mix of, both, I think, right now is is working well for us. Or oh, it's going to. Not so much last year, but, you know, that's kind of to be expected, bringing in, you know, a new staff, new ideas and everything. Yeah, I mean, you bring a new staff in, they're, the team, with all due respect, was fairly devoid of talent that they need to compete at that level. So mm-hmm. just the overhaul and the and – the, building back up will take a little time you don't i mean transfer oh, yeah. portal is amazing but you're never gonna you're never gonna get the culture back in a year you know so no that's man that transfer portal has been huge for us man and i and i don't i understand it but it's like i don't see how some of these other guys why i saw some article where they had virginia tech as like one of the top transfer portal destinations and i'm like Okay, like I understand if you grew up and and know Blacksburg or you know about Virginia Tech, which I mean, I guess maybe these kids are just doing their research. They know about our program. Um, I'm just glad that we are kind of in that situation now where we can go out instead of waiting for a kid to develop. We can just go in the portal and and find a kid that um, is ready now. And it's something that I think about, like, when I was playing, if I would have taken advantage of that, you know, like I said, I wasn't supposed to play. 
I I got lucky due to an injury. But if I didn't have that injury with that portal being open, who knows, man? Who knows what would have happened? I love Virginia Tech and wanted to be there. And that's still – I consider it home. Uh, but it's just interesting to think about, you know, what I might may have done if uh, times were different. You watch your mouth, Bruce. You'd have been a hoagie, all right? <laughs> hey, man. Just being honest. Is there a team? <laughs> no, I feel you. I respect it. That's what we do here. Uh, yeah. So you love Making playing against Boston College. Sheesh. Yeah, NIL. NIL. Would have loved some NIL money. Could have had you out here, out here in these streets. Yeah, man. Looking right. Yeah. More than I already was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, sir. Is there a team? Is there a team that you hated playing as much as you love playing Boston College? Is there a team that you were like, I don't want to play these fools? 100%. Can you guess who it is? You're probably going to guess wrong. Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah. See, football guy, he gets it. Dude, <laughs> playing them, you just knew you were going to be so sore after the game because they, they, they didn't throw the ball. And they had – you know, everybody we played, their offensive line, they're averaging three, three ten, three twenty on the line. Average size on their offensive line was like two seventy five. So these dudes can run, they can move, and they're just shooting at your legs. They're just they're not trying to block you straight up. They're literally trying to destroy your kneecaps every game. And they're running the ball 40, 45 times, throwing it maybe nine times. And it's just like, it's so much to think about mentally. Like, mentally, it's taxing. Physically, it's taxing. And then they, you know, they actually had some decent uh, weapons offensively when, when we played them uh, that it just, like, it made it extremely tough. I hated playing them. It took two weeks to recover physically from those games. Did Bud hate playing them or he loved playing them? I mean, it was a it was a long work week for those guys because the thing was he had, I think, one of the best plans to stop that triple op- option. But the thing is, he never we always changed it up because we know they're watching film, too. So the situation where we can't just go and, and do the same thing that we did last time, we have to switch it up to keep them, uh, you know, on their toes. So, uh yeah, man, I don't I don't know if he enjoyed that, but you know, I think he loves the X's and O's and everything. Um, but that was just a tough week on everybody, coaches and players. Now you had an injury, right? Your was it your sophomore or junior year? Junior year, man. Yeah. Yeah, I was having a really good year and I uh tore some ligaments in my foot. They call it the Liz Frank sprain. And, uh, yeah, had season-ending surgery. How difficult was it to bounce back from that injury? Man, I still ain't bounced back. <laughs> Dang. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a tough one because, you know, the doctors, they, they, they were telling me when I was getting set up for the surgery that there is a chance that I may not return – that flexibility, that strength in that foot, there's a 50% chance that it will never be the same again. And so I was part of that 50% where it never, my foot has never been the same. 
You know, it's a situation where um, I still have aches. I still don't have a lot of mobility in that foot. And uh, yeah, man, it, it, it was definitely tough not being the same player athletically. Um, you know, people in the program knew I was never the, the fastest or the quickest. I What I relied on a lot was my my smarts, my ability to read a game uh, and anticipate, you know, where to be as opposed to just reacting. Now, of course, you got to be able to react, but that was kind of my thing of I did extra study, did extra work in the in the classroom, I guess you could call it, uh, to make sure that I was in the right position to make plays. So when I had the injury, I lost what little speed that I did have. Um, so it, it was tough. It was tough going through that. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I'm, I'm still glad that I was able to achieve my goals and, and my dreams of, you know, playing at the next level, even though I was a shell of my former self, you know, I still did it, you know? And so that was, uh, that was good. That was good. No hard feelings. Would you say the list Frank injury cost you the NFL? Well, it didn't, I wouldn't say it cost me the NFL. I think it cost me a draft, uh, you know, cause I was, they had me ranked to go like fourth, fifth round that junior year. And then, of course, after the injury, um, you know, I went from like a four fifth rounder to like a six, seven round guy. Um, and of course, still didn't get drafted, ended up being an undrafted free agent, which is nothing wrong with that. Of course, we know there are people in the Hall of Fame that uh, went that same route. So I wasn't even tripping about that. Um, you know, it's just unfortunate, but that's life, man. Things happen to you and things have happened to me throughout my life that I have had to deal with and you know you just keep going you 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 keep moving that's facts uh we have something sort of in common not the same circumstance but the same result uh my dad was not really around until i was like 26 years old so i grew up i played football i did all that shit and it was just my mom really had a stepdad but what my dad um, right, but I have a great relationship with him now. Full disclosure, mm-hmm. I still get pissed about it, like when I think about it. But I mean, I can't change it. But right. what's your relationship like with your dad now? Man, that's my that's my homie. That's my best friend. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. he he was locked up until I was like eight or nine years old, but he still was around if that makes sense physically no um he wasn't there but he was always i never felt like i didn't have a father you know i i wasn't one of those guys who parent like um may have i guess you could call neglected them or abandoned them even though he wasn't physically there i still talked to him every week went and saw him i think it was maybe once a month we had a chance to go and visit him so uh yeah man it was it was tough but it was I didn't know any different you know growing up in a single mom household that's how it always was and so I never knew what it was like to have a dad there all the time which I think would have been a lot harder on me as a kid if I had already experienced you know like when kids 
their parents leave their uh their parents get divorced when they're like 12 13 years old you've already established that relationship of you know father being there and everything that's completely different than what i had to deal with so of course it was tough him not being there but at the same time it was it was uh it was glad to know that he was still there for me when i needed him No, that's facts. I'm glad I asked you because that's way different than the article I read on Bleacher Reports. So now I'm gonna have to fight them. They set me up. <laughs> what did they say on Bleacher Report? <laughs> they made it sound like your dad was in it was in prison and he wasn't around until you went to tech. No, yeah. See, the, <laughs> every every report that I've watched, that I've listened to or read, it's all you know. It's never 100 percent accurate, so it, it is what it is. But yeah, man. Call him up and tell him don't be don't be don't be speaking Neil on my on my pops like that. A man made some mistakes early in his life, but one thing he didn't do is he never made a mistake with how he raised me. And you know, I contribute, you know, a lot to the man I am today because he was there. I mean, my mom, I would get in trouble in school growing up, not like anything serious, but you know, talking in class, being a class clown, whatever the case was. Or if I got into it with my mom, she would call my dad just like she would, you know, if he wasn't there, she would use that as a way of like getting me to straighten up. Like, Hey, I'm gonna call your dad. Because even if he wasn't there, I still had the mo the most respect for my dad and his presence as a, as a father figure, I, you know, I always had respect for that. So it was good. You know, it could have been, it could have been a lot worse. I know guys that were put in similar situation and uh, went the other way. You know, I saw it, I saw it firsthand growing up. So Shout out Pops, Big Bruce. Yeah, Big Bruce. When you yes, listen sir. to this, I did not slander your name. I was fed misinformation. <laughs> all good, all good. He don't live that life no more, so you straight. Hell yeah, I don't got nothing. I don't no worry about it. nobody checking me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries, um, no worries. You good? You good? <laughs> nah, but it is kind of like, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Like, we're great. Like, that's my dude. But, and I know he regrets it. Like, I, I haven't ever really brought it up, but he's kind of like, I can just tell. And it's kind of funny. Like, I'm a very direct and honest person. And people are all, sometimes are like, why are you so direct? And I'm like, well, I see the men in my family and they're not very good communicators. So I see all the regret that they wear because they're not great communicators and I don't ever want to be them. So what they haven't been for me taught me a lot on what I want to be for everybody else. So it worked. Yeah. It, they, in the end, they taught me a lot without ever teaching me shit, you know? Hey, that's, that's what happens, man. You go through tough times and at the, at, you know, best case scenario, you going through it, you hope that you learn something, you know, so to your, to avoid situations like that again, or, you know, learn how to, how to deal with situations like that, you know? And when there's everybody's different, it's crazy how, a bad thing. It's the story of like, while we're talking about dads, you got the alcoholic dad and with the two kids, one guy turned out to be an alcoholic like his dad. The other turned out to never drink and become extremely successful. So it's like, it's all about your perspective, how you look at things and how you are going to react to them is what, what makes you. So luckily for us, we took that bad and turned it into something good. Facts. And if you're listening, if you listen to this podcast, this episode, and you're going through some shit, just know you're gonna be all right because you're gonna survive. Right. 
And because life goes the way it's supposed to go. Like it, it, it might not be where you want it to go, but you always end mm-hmm. up where you're supposed to be. You know, yeah, absolutely. So. Big facts. Yes, sir. On a lighter note, Blacksburg has a lot of good eats. And this podcast <laughs> is sponsored by the Benny's Pizza. God, so many good And I nights. love them. <laughs> yeah. So if you're out in Blacksburg and your stomach is empty or it's full of champs, tots, PKs, sharkies, all those good drinks, slide over to Benny's, man. Get you a slice. Big End slice. the night on a good note. You know what I'm yes, saying? Sir. Shout out Benny's. What, uh, yeah, shout out Benny's. Where was it? Where were your favorite places to eat when or go to when you were in school? Well, we had our, and still probably my favorite place. We had our every week game weeks. We ate as a team, well, as a as a unit. So all the linebackers we'd eat together. So we always made our way to PKs. Cause it was Thursday nights on the dinner, and you know PKs. I don't know, are you know the the old school listeners? They know about Tijuana toss at PKs. So we would go there, do Tijuana toss, and you know get our pizzas for free sometimes. So PKs was probably my favorite dinner spot, favorite lunch. You remember Sycamore Deli? Yeah, yeah, man. R.I.P. Shout out Sycamore Deli. Like that was that was my spot. While we are RIP and RIP Big Al's, RIP Boudreaux's. <laughs> right. That's the uh, affairs. That rooftop was elite. Yeah, it was. Who, who, who else? I think, I think everybody else is still there. Tides, Peak, Sharkies, those places are still there. Oh, yeah. Hokey House. Yeah, Hokey oh, House. Man. Yeah, man. Explain. Good time. Explain the Tijuana Toss for, for the listeners, man, that don't know. So Tijuana Toss, basically what you do is you order a pizza and then after you, you know, you order that pizza, if you order another one, you get to toss for it. So they flip, they come to your table, flip a quarter, just like you had, you know, about to start a football game. You know, it was kind of like our pregame. That's how we got ready for the week. You uh, flip a coin and if you guess it right, your pizza is 100% free. And the best part about it was it was no limit. You know, like if you kept flip, flipping pizzas, you kept getting free ones. So you pay for the first one, and then everyone after that could be free. I think one night we won like six pizzas because our guy just had, you know, the hot hand, I guess you could say. Tails never fails, baby. Look, man, they had y'all turning tricks for free food. God bless NIL. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling nah. you, man. Good times. <laughs> Hey, yeah, absolutely not. PK's legendary. Um, I have to apologize you, to you actually because I saw you there on St. Patrick's Day before the turn women's tournament. Oh, you did, and it didn't register with me <laughs> that that was you because you're so damn small now. Um, no, I'm, just <laughs> I'm just playing, but I was sitting there with Barrick and I was like, oh, shit, that is Bruce Taylor, yeah, man. But yeah. I bet we, I realized no, later. We were all probably- <laughs> you know, three or four drinks in, so all is forgiven. Yeah, been there a minute. Right. You know how it goes in PKs and Blacksburg in general, man. Take Blacksburg and Absolutely. buy out the bar is so damn cheap, you know, because especially if you come coming from, like, a bigger city, 
them, them Blacksburg drink prices are dangerous. I'll be up in Northern Virginia, bro. I'll come down to Blacksburg. I'll start buying rounds, you know, hanging out with whoever. And my bill's still only like $38. I'm like, I'm telling you. Are you serious? How? <laughs> how? University Club, when uh, I bought, I bought you, we, it was you, Zach, and me. We, I bought that round, double Tito's or whatever. Yeah. It was only yeah. like 38 bucks for three three doubles. I was like, good God, this is this is heaven. This, hey, man, it's Blacksburg. You gotta love it. Yeah, yeah, stop doing like you went, you tried the NFL. We just sent yep. with Cincy, Arizona, and yep. back to Cincy, right? Yes, sir. You got hey, there you go. You got that part right. <laughs> Dude, I know my shit. I I re- I do my research, it's just sometimes they set me up. They set you up, man. But yeah, no, um those are those are my, my squads. What were those camp experiences like? Stressful. Physically, believe it or not, a lot easier. A lot easier. But from a mental standpoint, it was it was tough, man. It was tough for sure. In Cincinnati, you did you learn anything from Ray Maluga? Because that dude was a stud. <laughs> yeah, I would say I would learn some stuff. I don't I wouldn't say any of his football related or <laughs> even stuff that I could <laughs> repeat on this podcast but no nah, ray, ray, ray was great man he he welcomed the uh the young guys uh you know he was unlike some of the guys that you know looked at you like you were trash he was one of the, the higher paid players that took the time to connect with us whereas and i get it because and one of the vets told me he's like we don't connect with the free agent guys because we don't know if they're going to be here in a couple of weeks so you know that was I, I understood that and it gave me like a realization of how cutthroat and how business like the nfl is you come from a place like virginia tech where everybody's all family like we talked about that locker room culture earlier in the call and it's night and day when you get to the nfl it is a business in every sense of the word you are an employee and, um, you know, it was it was definitely a you, you want to talk about culture shock. That was way bigger of a culture shock going from college to pros than from pros to, uh, from high school to college. Is that because it's more on you as a person to do the work and, and gain the knowledge because you're the professional is now your job versus in college? like. You, you everything sort of like I mean you still had the freedom but you know you had to like all right classes this time but you got to be here at this time like it was very a lot more structured whereas in the NFL it was just straight football and it was nothing else besides that well you 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 nailed it and you know it's on you and it's not like you're just playing for fun anymore you're playing for your livelihood you're playing for a paycheck and being an undrafted guy like myself, you come in, no one's expecting anything from you. Or if they are have expectations of you, they're not very high. So you come into that situation, and, and the best way I could describe it is, as an undrafted free agent, you know, you're going through practice, there's only so many reps. And, you know, the first team, they're taking majority of those reps. 
Second team, they're getting a good amount of reps as well because they're one play away from being the guy. Third team is getting a little bit of reps. Dude, we were four deep at linebacker. I was sometimes sometimes on that third squad, but sometimes more than not on that fourth squad. I could count on one hand how many reps I would get each day. So you go from a situation where you're the man you go from a situation where everybody's counting on you to make these plays and, and be the guy to dog shit. Like, you're nobody. you whale shit, uh, how they say. You, you know, you're lower than that. So it's just like you go to a situation where you got to, like, fight for every inch that you get. So it's a lot of pressure to be put on somebody like, I got five reps today. Okay, rep one and two were good. Damn, rep three, rep three got away from me. And it's like, how am I going to react with reps four and five? So you got very little opportunity to make plays. And then if you do have those opportunities, those guys that actually, excuse me, that actually take advantage of those few reps that they have is what's going to make the difference. Hey, that's a pretty in-depth look at NFL camp life. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. Good times. So now, Bruce Taylor, Tailored Solutions, LLC, Staffing right. Solutions, Taylor made just for you. Tell us about right. it, man. So, yeah, man, I have been in – when I got done playing uh, football, I immediately got into staffing and – um Really enjoyed the opportunity. I was in sales, so opportunity to go out and find companies that need help. But then you turn around and find people for those jobs. Now, as we know, finding a new job can be really exciting, right? Especially if you're in a bad situation or you're not making much money. That new job, of course, until you actually get in the job and doing it, that new job feeling is one that's great. And I just remember the first time I picked up the phone and told somebody that the job was theirs and just how happy they were and how this was going to change not only their lives, but their kids' lives. And that really stuck with me. And as a service type individual, I guess you could call call me, um, love to do for others. And so that being able to combine a passion of mine with my actual career is, uh, was a huge plus for me. And so I I have the opportunity to do that each day, going out and and working with these people that are trying to improve themselves. And, you know, we're doing the same, working with companies in the uh, mostly IT and technology space, but we do some engineering, construction, real estate companies as well. So if you are in a situation where your company is looking to hire, and you just don't have the resources internally to do it all yourself, that's when people will call on me because they know that I will provide them with top talent. And I have a team mentality. I understand how important it is to have the right pieces on your team. So being able to go in and uh, do that for clients, I've been able to provide a lot of value for them by not only finding people that fit the skill set, of what they're looking for, but they also fit the culture of that company and what they're trying to do. Solid. Hell yeah. Yes, sir. That's awesome. 
How long have you how long have you been doing this? Man, I've been independent since 2020. I lost my job due to COVID, got fired, um, and the next day had my LLC started. So it was something that I was planning on doing eventually. COVID just made that happen a little quicker than I would have liked. Hey, man. He took you where you needed to go, though. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Like you said, man, bad things happen. You're going to learn from it or, you know. So I learned from that bad situation of not being able to work for the my respective company anymore, but it opened up a new door. And that's what happens, man. You, you go through things and it might not work out how you wanted it to, but you always end up right where you need to be, right? Facts. Big facts. Man, what do you like to do when you're not working, though? Like, what what is Bruce Taylor into personally? Like, hobbies, interests, shit like that? Yeah, so you brought up food, man. I was ready to talk food because I, I consider myself to be a junior chef. <laughs> I like to cook. I like to bake. Um, and I like video games. I, uh, I grew up playing video games and uh, always thought that that would die out, but the esports industry and just video games in general, especially with COVID, I played so many video games in during COVID, and um, it's now it's now some, something I like to do. Like you know, I, I may turn on the show at night, um, or I might I might hop on the sticks, man. So I have like a whole community of like friends <laughs> that I play with and stuff. So yeah, man, cooking. I'm the I'm the I'm the family chef. Um, I cook, my wife cleans, which is sweet because I hate to clean. And then, yeah, we'll watch a show for a couple hours and then I'll, you know, turn on sticks and play with my, what what, what are we going to call them? My E-family, I guess you could say. <laughs> my <laughs> but guys. you're not afraid to clean, right? You're not afraid to clean? I ain't afraid. No, I ain't afraid of a lot of, you know, anything. But, no, I am not afraid to clean. But if I have to clean, nah. Yeah, I'm going to pass on that. I'm scarred, <laughs> man. I'm scarred. I grew up in the South with a, a grandma that really believed in, you know, chores and all of that. So, yeah, man, I've, I've cleaned enough. <laughs> Still got to clean. I hear you. What yeah, are, man. What are some of your favorite dishes to make, man? What do you like to cook? Man, I got this really good... Um, cornflake chicken recipe that uh i've been kind of killing lately cornflake chicken because of course i love fried chicken but can't eat fried chicken all the time so i found that if you just bread your chicken in cornflake dust <laughs> it gets super crunchy like a normal uh piece of fried chicken would be you know you still got that flavor and that's probably one of my favorites um but i'm a breakfast guy omelets buttermilk pancakes you know, that sort of stuff, frittatas, quiches. That's that's probably my uh if I had to say specialty, that would be that would be the specialty. Man, sounds good. Uh sure. I'll never forget uh the first music show I ever worked, first concert I ever worked, uh I helped promote um Wale for a little bit and he did a show at Norfolk State 
and I stayed with Greg Boone in Chesapeake. <laughs> and the next day, Big he game. fried me some of the best chicken I've ever had in my life, man. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, man. Boone, I, I miss that dude, man. He, he was another guy that took, took the young guys under his wing. So, yeah, man. Shout out Big Boone, man. Have you ever had Korean fried chicken? Have I had Korean fried chicken? Of course I've had Korean fried chicken. It's amazing. <laughs> Shit, busting. So good. Yeah, man. They they fry it twice. That's the thing. They fry it, oh. take it out, and then they fry it again. That's how they get it so crispy. And they put, like, that spicy ginger soy shit on there that just sticks. Man, it's so oh, good. Yeah. That's probably my and favorite then, uh, food, man. Asian food. Probably the best. For me, I think my favorite is like Latin inspired, bro. Like I, I should have always, always joke at work that I should have been I'm Daniel, but I should have been Daniel because I love it. <laughs> their their fried chicken is good. Their roasted chickens banging. All those dishes are just delicious. Yeah, yeah, a nice paella. Yeah, all that. Yes, sir. I hear you. Well, man, dog, I appreciate you coming on here and talking to Absolutely. me. Uh, yeah, letting the people hear a little, little bit about Bruce Taylor, hokey great. Yes, sir. I appreciate you calling, man. It's it's been it's been fun, kind of talking about some of the things I haven't talked about in a while. Yes, sir. Yeah, man. One last question, though. Go ahead. Was it a catch? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no! What? You ain't gotta say. You ain't gotta say what game. I already know what you're talking about. Damn sure wasn't no catch, man. They robbed my boy. Danny Cohen catch the ball. Oh, you talking about? Oh no, I thought. <laughs> no, you talking about oh, Dan? Shit, I'm thinking. I'm I'm getting the 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 squads mixed up. No, it hundred percent was a catch, man. By the rules, it was a catch. They decided to change the rules for that specific game. <laughs> I was confused. <laughs> I, I was like, damn, bro, they about to hate you. <laughs> I had to clear that up. I had to clear hey, that this up. This ain't live clear. Yeah, cut that piece out. No, it 100% was a catch. Man. <laughs> oh, it's staying. Yeah. Well, man, like I said, I appreciate you. We'll yes, definitely sir. have to catch up sometime in Blacksburg or wherever. Richmond, doesn't matter. Right, man. I'm Let mobile. me know. Got my number. Yes, sir. All right, man. Well, go Hokies. Go Hokies. <laughs>